Hey everybody, welcome back to The Millionaire Marriage, and today we are talking about sex and physical intimacy in marriage. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. So we're here with our wives again. Erica is my beautiful bride, and obviously we're here with Taylor and his wife, Megan. She's beautiful as well. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw that in there. So we're going to talk a lot about marriages, obviously on this podcast, and one, a, a huge part of marriage is sexual our sexual life and physical intimacy. And so when we were kind of talking through this pre-recording, there's so many different topics that we can discuss and deal with within intimacy. So I think we're going to jump jump in and get started about physical intimacy in marriage. So we, we've talked before with our wives about, about marriage after kids. And so I think we could probably start there and kind of filter through how sex changed after you had kids and what that looked like in terms of being more intentional, having to set boundaries. And I know we talked about making sure our kids go to bed at a certain time. So that's, let's, let's start there and jump into the topic in that aspect. All right, let's do it. So, you know, I think for, for us, I mean, obviously, you know, with, with sex in general, right, everybody goes into it with different expectations, right? And that's going to yeah. be set by media my family, whatever it was that you were around, right? So I I have two older brothers that are six and eight years older than me, right? So when they were going through puberty and teenagers, right, I, my we shared a bedroom, right? Or a bedroom was right next door. So like all the things that they talked about and heard, like I was hearing much younger yeah. than, than I probably should have, right? <laughs> and so my expectations were skewed going into things, right? And I, I think now with especially not the invention of pornography, but the availability mm-hmm. of it, right? We see so many couples who, who are, bringing those expectations and sex expectations right into yeah. their marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it drastically changes what, what they think should be a healthy, happy sexual relationship. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I from a therapist viewpoint, right. How, how do you handle that when, when you have maybe somebody with the very varying sex expectations? Yeah. So for some people, this might be awkward, but like, as a family marriage, marriage and family therapist, like I talk about sex to complete strangers, so like it's not super uncomfortable. Yeah, we don't in the financial plan. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. tell me about your intimacy life. Like, aren't I here for my money? <laughs> so, like, they're really th- and like so when when couples come and think you find this also with relationships after they have kids because expectations do change there as well. There are really three ways you have sex: right, oral, anal, vaginal, and making sure that you have an open dialogue about what's appropriate in your marriage and what's not appropriate. Cause what can happen is people can go, well, Hey, this is kind of what I was, it's kind of what I was thinking. And they're like, I wasn't thinking that Pump the brakes at yeah. all. <laughs> like that's not going to be okay. And matter of fact, now that you said that I'm kind of concerned about you. <laughs> yeah. So I think when it comes to working with couples, it's, it's okay. Well, let's talk about ex, like sexual expectations. So, what were you thinking? You were gonna have sex every night, like two or three times a day, and your spouse is like, "I was thinking kind of like maybe once every other month, yeah. maybe maybe like special occasions like birthdays and stuff." <laughs> so, I think you kind of you have to get dialogue. You have to get dialogue out, yeah. and so that way people can the couple can communicate about what their sexual expectations are. And that's, I think, something when it comes to couples that have 
children. Okay, so this, like, we need to talk about this because how is this going to work now? Because now there's this whole other human being in our mm-hmm. house that used to not be here anymore. So it's like you used to walk around just butt naked and now yeah. you really can't <laughs> because now you have other humans that live in the house. So obviously, yeah. <laughs> like, sexually, things are going to change. And so I think just having open dialogue. And so here's what's fascinating. And I, I, I meant to say this, like, kind of in our, in our, our pre prep talk is sexual communication is one of the largest predictors of relational satisfaction. Wow. So when couples can communicate about sex, they can communicate about everything else. And so there's numerous studies and I wish I had them in frame. There's numerous studies that detail sexual communication and how sexual communication is directly linked to relational satisfaction. It's also linked to sexual satisfaction, obviously, but relational satisfaction. So getting couples to dialogue, but it's so funny. And we talk about this and people look at me like I'm insane, especially people that are unmarried. But when I tell, like, I remember teaching about this at the college and I said, it's so interesting how many couples have sex, but never talk about it. And they're like, I just, students are like, their head explodes. I mean, they're like, people are like brains are melting out of their ears <laughs> because they couldn't believe what I was saying. But like, when you, when you work with couples like I do on this side, and when you realize how few of them actually talk about sex, both what's working and what's not working, it's staggering. But especially if we know that sexual communication is directly linked to relational satisfaction, this is something that couples need to be doing in any stage of their marriage. Well, I mean, it's awkward, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like right. it's awkward. I mean, so, I mean, there's a lot of things that we've discussed, right? So we'll get into finances and everything else. But when you get to like, this is me bearing my soul, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just you know, uneasy, yeah. right? And so like, I know with Megan and I, uh, with conversations that we have, anything that's kind of awkward or hard, we do it in the car almost always, right? have conversations in the car always where we are driving, right? Where we're kind of locked in, right? So, so we're there. So on road trips, whatever. And and that's where we have a lot of our discussions is because it kind of forces us to keep that line of communication open. Right. And you you can't just open the door and leave. Right. So like we're in the house, like I'm going to, I'm going to go in the other bedroom, other room. No, like you're stuck. We're driving 70 miles right on the road. Like you're not leaving. You're not going anywhere. We're talking about it. Right. But Uh, sometimes we have had really hard conversations at home with all the lights turned off. All the lights off. In the bedroom. Pitch like black. pitch black in yes. the bedroom, having these really hard conversations just because we didn't want to look at each other in that moment. Yeah. I don't want to see your facial expression as I say that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's super important. And I think yeah. we, we worked with a, some couples not too long ago, and we even did this in our newlyweds class where we had pulled basically a, a blind survey right online, and there's a bunch out there which basically went through and asked you as a, as a individual person, right? What you like, don't like, and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then your spouse did the exact same thing. And then it shared the the same answers, right? Kind of gave you an insight where it wasn't, I don't have to feel that you're judging me, but because you're taking it, I'm taking it. And it kind of helped open that dialogue mm-hmm. for people that have never talked about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's for some people it is taboo, right? I mean, it's very yes. taboo. So you know, I think anything that you can do to start that dialogue is, is really important. And it, it is a hard conversation, but yeah. just doing it. Well, I think, I think this kind of, this kind of goes to a, a, a bigger challenge that we have, especially people that grow up with faith, because like we are told starting some young that sexual expression is bad. 
yeah. It's wrong. Keep a Bible between you. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bible length in between the two of you. Yep. And so we already have this, this challenge in our mind talking about sex in general. And so that's like, yeah, people think it's like a curse word. Like when you say, oh, you can't talk about that. Talk about what? <laughs> you know, you mean sex? We can't talk about that because why? Because it makes you uncomfortable. I, I don't, I mean, and especially if you're a person of faith listening to this, like, I don't think I need to remind you. There's an entire book in the Bible <laughs> that deals oh, with yeah. a man and his lover. It's called the Song of Solomon. Here's, <laughs> no, what's really crazy is, so don't do this unless you're ready for it. If you look at the Song of Solomon and you compare it with ancient literature of the time, some of the things that Homeboy was saying in there is extremely explicit. Really? Like a lot. And so you go, okay, well, the Bible talks about this. But why are we so uncomfortable with it? And like we were kind of joking, like like the wise, like we're not going to say much, right? Because it, it makes us uncomfortable, but when really it shouldn't. Like this is a natural part of our life. And so what happens is that we get into marriage and we're always told, oh, no, 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 no. You, whoa, whoa. Uh, we can't talk about, we can't talk about this. We're going to do it. We can't talk about we can't it. Talk about it. Yeah. Which is is crazy, right? Because it gets well, it gets uncomfortable. Like I remember, and so if you're listening, uh, former student, I apologize. I remember I had one student that we 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 approached the subject of sex, and they go, "Yeah, my my grandparents called it the sinful. Like that was their terminology wow. for having sex." And it's like, wow, no wonder this is so difficult for people to talk about it. They'll go do it, but. The challenge is that if you're not communicating with your spouse, like, hey, I kind of had these expectations. Like, this isn't wrong. Like, these aren't like this isn't a moral thing. But like, can we can we maybe dialogue about this a little bit? But what happens? So here's what happens, though. And it's really interesting is. People who are comfortable being them, they're comfortable with themselves. We call it differentiation, like people who are able to separate themselves from their spouse or from anybody else are easier to say what's on their mind, like what they're thinking. But here's the thing about, about telling your spouse, Hey, this is kind of what I was thinking when it came to sexual intimacy. Like that takes a huge level of vulnerability, mm -hmm. like huge, because what you're doing, you're kind of putting yourself out there and hoping that your spouse doesn't crush you. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it is. So I think this, when like you start dealing with sexual intimacy, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, which being vulnerable means you, there is a chance. There's a chance that it's not going to go in your favor. Like you thought, but if you don't start the conversation, you'll end up being sexually frustrated later. And that's what marriage is meant to be. You're meant to be fully known by someone. And biblically, when they said he knew her or however that was, that was talking about, the act of sex, like they yeah. were intimate with one another and it's fully knowing someone and then allowing yourself to, to be vulnerable with that other person and giving yourself over to that other person in every way possible and just being able to be known. And I think that's so beautiful. And that is why God created sex, I believe, in marriage. Why else? I understand procreation, but he asks that it just be confined to marriage if you don't, if it's not okay, then you're just, and you don't enjoy it and your conversations aren't free with it and you're not vulnerable with one another, you all, you will be sexually frustrated and that bleeds over into every other area of your life, I believe. 
and to not be able to be vulnerable there, where else is that stifling your vulnerability in your marriage as well? So I think just taking Absolutely. that chance and being open because what do you have to lose? You can be sexually frustrated or frustrated in general, mm-hmm. you know, holding your feelings back and stifling what your frustrations, or you can choose to take a chance. And more times than not, your spouse is going to come back if they're willing to work out things and work with you, which they will. They love you that you married each other for a purpose. And I think that it's worth the work. Yeah. It just reminded me. So what, what happens is when like you're open with your spouse about like sexual desires, it ends up creating more, more flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so, cause what happens is, is let's say you have a spouse that says, Hey, I was kind of thinking this. And the other spouse is like, you know what? I, I wasn't like, it's not wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't really thinking that. And so what ends up happening is it's causing your partner to have to be more flexible sexually as well. And so it creates a, a level of marital satisfaction because what's happening is both of you then, because the spouse who discloses whatever, I, I, I have nothing specific in mind, spouse discloses, hey, I was kind of thinking this. Well, that takes vulnerability on their part, right? So they're like, okay, well, I'm taking this risk. And the other spouse goes going, you know, I, I wasn't really thinking that, but like this isn't, again, this isn't wrong. So sure, like we'll give it a shot. Yeah. And so that's causing them to be flexible and them to kind of step out as well. And so all that does is it aids in marital satisfaction because what's happening is you become more vulnerable sexually, but that leads to more vulnerability outside the bedroom. Yeah. I was say it builds teamwork outside the bedroom. Yes. As well. like, I know in our relationship when we have a sexy, sexy, a healthy sexual <laughs> relationship, it bleeds over everything else, yeah, right? We we sure. get along better with the kids, and we get along better with yeah, that chores, and we get along better with everything else, right? We're yeah. much more open when it comes to most of anything else. And we all know that communication, everything comes back to communication. And if you feel that you can be transparent mm-hmm. when communicating about your sex life and your sex expectations, then you are going to be able to be transparent in just the everyday aspects yeah, of your absolutely. daily life. So it definitely opens up that conversation. Yeah, and you you had mentioned something in the when we were chatting earlier about you know sexually starts outside of the bedroom, anyways, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so you know if we can get that down where where and I like how you put you know men are microwaves and women are crockpots mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to sexual enjoyment, right? Or, or preparing for sex, but it, it does it started outside of the bedroom. If, yeah. if if I know if I come home and and you know we try to go to bed and, and i'm thinking oh yeah tonight's the night and the house is a wreck and mm-hmm. the kids have been crazy and one's been to the doctor right and <laughs> we've had all these other things throughout the day <laughs> and megan's mind is completely on i am exhausted i just want a bath like it's not going to be enjoyable for her or right. not even going to happen at all right? right and so you know it does start outside the bedroom as far as setting yes. that setting the stage early on and you know we've seen some of those different things jeremy i think one of y'all were talking about a candle or a coffee mug or something. Yeah, I was saying that we've had friends that have told us that um, they kind of communicate throughout the day via this candle. They light a specific candle if anything's going to happen that evening, just so they start um, getting their mindset mm-hmm. where it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, you do. I mean, you're, you prepare. So like even for this podcast, we prepare for the podcast, right? You yeah. prepare for work where, you know, some people lay their clothes out the night before, right? And, and they know, hey, I'm taking this for lunch. And, right. and they're kind of mapping out their day and their week. And, yeah. and, you know, it's on their calendar. And they're preparing for something that's important. And if I have a meeting with my boss, right, I'm preparing for it. If I have sure. clients coming in for a financial planning meeting, 
I'm preparing for it and, and I'm right. going to set the stage appropriately. And I think we forget that yeah. in our marriage sometimes. Well, I, so it was so funny. I was working with one couple one time and their lives were going just like totally different directions. And they were talking about like their lack of like physical intimacy and sex. I said, well, are, do you guys, do you guys plan for it? And they're like, that's kind of weird. And I was like, mm-hmm. listen, there's nothing sexy about planned sex. Planned sex is better than no sex. Oh yeah, and so it's. I I do agree. Like I think sex starts outside the bedroom. But I want to be clear. And we were talking about this uh, again off off the recording. Is I am not for the whole like I'm going to do this so I can get sex later. Oh yeah. I told I told one of the girls you I mean, might as well just pay her for it then or pay him for it. Yeah. Like just yeah. open your wallet and give him money because that's essentially what you're doing. So instead of like creating this whole like, well, I'm going to, you know, do all of these things hoping that, you know, something happens tonight. Well, you owe me. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's all. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> we spent time there. Like, no, like I'm doing this because I love you because like I'm a member of this family. And I think that when your spouse sees you give effort, like, man, mm-hmm. I've never found them more attractive in my whole life. Taking out the trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, I, was like, I said, I mean, sex starts by taking out the trash in the morning. Yes. Building a loft bed. Yeah, no, I mean, because what, what it does is it shows, it shows your spouse that, like, hey, I'm engaged in this relationship no matter what happens right. tonight. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a part, I, I love what you guys say. I love it. You guys are on the same team. Like, hey, like, we're on the same team. Like, so I'm going to do this mm-hmm. just because of, like who we are together, right. regardless of what I get out of it. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of starting, starting the process all the time. Like, yeah. like every text message doesn't have to be sexual or not. Like, Hey, love you thinking about you. Yeah. Um, and I like, so. you know, it kind of goes to, you had mentioned earlier, you know, your behavioral patterns outside the bedroom yes. are what's going to carry over into the bedroom. Absolutely. Right. So if you're showing that you're caring and yes. loving and thinking about your partner outside the bedroom. Yep. Nine out of ten, that's going to carry you straight forward into that sexual Absolutely. relationship, right? So. Yeah, and it goes it goes the opposite direction as well. So, like, if you're like manipulative and useful outside, like that's probably how you're going to behave inside. But if you have a caring demeanor and supportive, and like, hey, like, I like what, what's going to make you feel good tonight? Mm-hmm. Not sexually, just in general. Right. So, like, if I know like she prefers the X, Y, or Z to be done before she goes to bed, so okay, look, how can I help out with that? Not because I'm expecting anything to happen, but because like I want to support you in our marriage and it's marriage being more of a team instead of a dominance. Yeah. So I think for some people it's like this whole, and I, I know where it comes from. And so I, I try to be careful because I don't want to just destroy people's world, but some of the thinking is extremely damaging. It's like, Oh, I'm the man and I rule this house. Like, uh. Okay, well, all you're ever going to have is a servant, not a partner. Mm-hmm. And sex is a whole lot better when both people are engaged. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a lot better when both people are engaged. Yeah. So, yeah, your your spouse may have sex with you, but it right. might be really yeah. terrible. It's a check mark on their calendar. Like, okay, I did something yeah. else. Yeah. So I defined healthy sexual function. I'm curious what you guys think about this. So in one of my classes, we went through we went through couples counseling and then specifically sexual sexual therapy. And so I was required to come up with this definition of what I thought healthy sexual functioning is. And so I, I think it's a pretty, pretty good definition. Healthy sexual functioning is a mutually fulfilling experience for both parties that involves the body, 
the mind and emotions. And so it's this idea that healthy sexual functioning is a experience that is fulfilling for both people. So in marriage, it's like, how do I make sure that this experience is going to be fulfilling for my spouse? Like it's fulfilling to me. And so if I can't get there, well, how do we get there then? So that starts way before. Okay. Well, how how do we make sure that when we are physically intimate, that what we're doing is fulfilling to both people and where it's not just a yeah, check mark done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Got that done too. That was on my list. Yep. Done. No big deal. Now got done this. Got to take care of it this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that, that doesn't create a like a healthy, happy relationship that creates a to do list. And it's right. not fulfilling to both people. And really if, if the other spouse is honest, like it's not really gratifying to them either. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like that, that wasn't that great. Yeah. Yeah, and it reduces intimacy down to just an act rather than what yes. it should be right. as a whole. Right. You know? I think that's what people do. I think people reduce intimacy down they to do. just the act. Just which, a physical. I agree. Yeah. Which is why like, I think like healthy sexual functioning involves like your body, obviously your mind and your emotions. Yeah. Because like that's like, like your whole, like we would say like the Christian faith, your body, soul, spirit, right? Something mm-hmm. that involves your whole person not just the physical act, but I think our culture Mm -hmm. has reduced sexual functioning, sexuality, sex in general, to just the physical act. Yeah. And there's a whole other side. This whole emotional side is huge, you know? And so, you know, if if you can't become emotionally connected, you're always kind of feeling in and out of the bedroom. You're going to feel emotionally unsupported, right? Untaken care of, unloved, un whatever, you know, that is for you. And I think a lot of that comes from, as it can, and bleeds into the bedroom in the sense of, you know, being confident in our bodies, right? Being confident in who we are. Um, because if I don't feel supported by, by my spouse, or if I don't feel that Megan feels me, attra- seems, you know, doesn't think I'm attractive outside of the bedroom, yeah. I'm not, I'm going to like carry that into the bedroom. Right. And there's going to be sec- insecurities and hindrances there, sure. you know, which leads to, you know, coming up with more excuses, right? Yeah. Or, hey, like, all lights off. You're never gonna see me. Like right. I mean, like where where it yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to reduce as many as these insecurities as possible, yeah. right? And we all right. So we talked in one of our podcasts, and I think you guys were here. Like you are here, and we we're talking about, um, you know, we change, right? right? When did you get married? Like yeah, I'm right. not the same person you married a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, like yes, fourteen years ago. We change, whether we like it or not. Our bodies change, our minds change, yeah. our everything changes. But having um, that support, I think, outside the bedroom is going to bleed into the bedroom as well. Yes. Um, and it helps with that emotional connection. Yeah. So. so it's so funny that you mentioned, like, turning all the lights off, like, pitch black. Mm-hmm. So I I remember I was in I was in supervision, so I was getting some dialogue about one of the cases I was, I was working with. And my supervisor at the time was a certified sex therapist. And she just said, Jeremy, if you can get them to have eyes open sex and eyes open climax that's going to solve so many of their problems right but it's like not only is it just insecurity in yourself but then also insecurity in your mm-hmm. in your relationship as well so like i don't really want to see right now and this is like i guess what we talked about i think we talked about in the one we talked about with kids it's like i don't want to see my kids 
I don't want to see my spouse for, I don't want to see my relationship for what this is. So it's, and so it creates a actual like physical barrier where you literally close your eyes instead of you being present. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this, this goes both ways, both for men and women is you being present when you're engaging in physical intimacy not going through your checklist, like, oh, okay, well, uh, what do I have to do after this? Okay, I still need to, I still need to do this, still need to do that. Like, all the while you're trying to be intimate with your spouse, like, open your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and that's why sex involves your mind. Mm-hmm. It's not just a physical act. And so, if you're listening on the podcast and you're like, hey, well, me and my wife, like, we like never open our eyes during sex, like, that might, might be an indication that you probably need to do a little bit of relational work. What is it about your spouse, your relationship you don't want to see? And it couldn't lead into, and you know, we're not going to a huge discussion on eyes closed, right, or anything. Yeah. But, but that does open up a very real issue of you know these, uh, you know, unreal fantasies, right? right. right. Pornography has yeah. played a huge part in this. Of, yeah, it has. of we've taken this whole generation of saying, hey, it's, it's available at your fingertips at a young age, right? You can see and you know experience whatever you want to visually. That you know, when the, in the real life act, you're like, well, well this isn't. This, this isn't it, right? Yeah. Like, this isn't what either I expected or what I've pro- programmed my mind to believe sex yeah. should be. I mean, especially in the context of marriage where it's one man, one woman, right? right. Whereas pornography, I mean, literally in five minutes, you could you could see thousands, right, right of people in bodies. And so, you know, knowing that, that that's not real and overcoming some of that. So, you know, I know we've, we've counseled some young couples before who that was a really big problem coming into marriage and, you know, in both male and female side yeah. of things. Oh, absolutely. And so how, yeah, let's not get that twisted. No, yeah. So I would love both. to hear from a clinical yeah. standpoint, right? How, how, what are some, what is some advice to start to say, Hey, if that is what's going on in your marriage, how to kind of combat that or overcome some of that pornography that sets some of those expectations going into marriage. Yeah. So the the first question I know is going to sound really odd. I'll explain more is why is, why is it, or why isn't it okay for your relationship to include pornography? Right. Cause sometimes people go, here's what's so challenging, especially people of faith, right? Oftentimes we know what's right and wrong. We do it anyways. So yeah. it's not a matter of like, we think it's right or wrong. Okay. So if you, no, it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. Why do you, or why don't you want to keep doing this? Like what's this doing to your relationship? Cause well, my wife doesn't like it that I, that I watch, I watch pornography. Okay. So that would be a reason then that you could start with why you should stop because like, and again, this is why it's, this goes a whole lot beyond what we know. So it's like, again, especially people of faith, like, you know, logically like this isn't okay, yeah. but you still do it anyways. So, if you if you come from a if you come from a place with any couple with this if you come from a place where like we'll stop doing it you know it's wrong they've been knowing that though so like there has like for them what's the what's the reason why you should stop in general like what's the reason why well again my spouse doesn't like me watching watching pornography okay then well let's let's work that why doesn't your spouse like you watching pornography well because it's not her okay well what about it is wrong to her well you're she, you're being sexually pleasured by somebody that's not her. Okay. That's more of a workable solution than just simply saying, don't do this cause it's wrong. Cause they already know. Yeah. And so I work it from, from that aspect of what are some reasons why, you, well, it's, it's inhibiting my, my ability to work. All I do, I'm, I'm, I, it's become an addiction. 
so here's what's really crazy. So the the gold standard for mental health diagnoses is the DSM fifth edition. They excluded sex and all like forms of sexuality as an addiction. Not because they didn't think it was, but because there isn't enough data on it yet. So what we're finding is that pornography specifically, but then also like other forms of sexual addiction are actual addictions like snorting cocaine because it does very similar things to your body and to, to your mind. And so sometimes you have to work through things with people like this, like how long has this been going on? And I'm glad you said what you said, because I think some people get this idea twisted, like, oh, pornography is only something men deal with. Absolutely not. I've worked with enough people where I've seen where both parties do it. And so I think there was one study um, that come out that was, I think, like 40 or 50 percent of women on a regular basis, look at pornography. And like the number for men was like 70, 75%. I read, I read a say just the other day and not to jump in, but yeah, no. to my studies, you know, right now, really big thing is only fans. Right. And I'm not trying to promote this website at all, but you know, where it has allowed these content creators, right. To basically create their own little porn site right there. Right. Wow. And people pay them. And this survey was talking and, you know, these sites have been around for a while, but this is really taking off once COVID hit. Right. And they found that women, particularly women, love this site. Right. And after doing some digging, it was primarily because these sites allow interaction. And so it's not just narrative. It's not much me watching a video. Right. It's an interaction. You get to know the person. Right. And and they send you text or they send you messages and women are able to get that emotional connection even not ever actually meeting the person they're getting this emotional connection fulfilled by someone other than their spouse through the use of this alternate 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 pornography addiction man it does it becomes an addiction where it it releases these oh this person cares about me they Mm -hmm. they thought about me they you know did this or that which which can very quickly lead into what you know we call for either relationship or either spouse, a, a sexless marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and so I, right. I know that it's easy to say, oh, well, sexless marriage, okay, you just never have sex. Well, no, like clinically, you're talking, yeah. you know, less than 12 times. Less a, than 12 times a year is considered a sexless marriage. Yeah. So less than one time a month, right? If you're only having sex one time a month, you're, you are technically, in a clinically sexless, yeah. living in a sexless, sexless marriage, you know, and I, we consider and say, okay, well, exactly. How do you get out of this? How do you get out of one? Yeah. Right. And, and, and we had somebody on our staff say the same thing. Like, well, Oh, well, how do you even get, have you been listening to the podcast? Like there's a lot of <laughs> right. things, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's not just the, the, you know, the, the act that goes into it, but you have some, some ideas or thoughts on that. On getting out of a sexless marriage. Yeah. Any of y'all? Well, like we discussed earlier, it definitely happens outside of the bedroom. So yeah. for, for the wife to feel more um, connected to the husband, you're going to have to Maybe step up in places that you weren't. Maybe it's um, doing the dishes or taking out the trash or things like that. But that definitely will help get you take those steps and feeling more intimate with your spouse. Yeah. Showing your, I think showing your spouse that they're a priority. Yeah. You know, we talked about this in one of our other sessions of not golfing every Saturday. So, you know, <laughs> right. as an example we use, right? Start playing 36 holes every Saturday. Like, no, like, you know, making time for your spouse. Make sure yeah. they know that they're a priority. Mm-hmm. You know, so for, for us, I know one of the things like Megan and I do, um, I always want her to know that I find her attractive and that, you know, I try to give her words of affirmation. That's one of you know, her love languages. That is my day. only love it language. Is, uh, her love language. <laughs> and so I, you know, and it's not one that I'm good at, right? I, I'm, I'm, it's not what I'm 
I could, it comes naturally. And so, you know, I set calendar reminders of like, hey, send Megan flowers and a sweet note, right? Hey, Google examples of words affirmation, right? <laughs> and, and I said that because because yes. it, it doesn't come naturally. So I want to make sure one, if I can build that routine into my life, I won't need the calendar reminders, right? And yeah. it happens even more and more now. But it also helps me to stay connected with her outside of yeah. the bedroom, yeah. uh, which leads to better intimacy, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah. I think there's something we need to address with sexless marriages as well is we're not talking about people that are having like physical issues, right? So like sicknesses, things like that. Like That's not what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. We're talking about like two healthy people that should be having sex that aren't because there are some like medical conditions that make it more challenging. There's, but I think the challenge is, okay, so even if you are having physical challenges, like actually engaging in vaginal intercourse, that doesn't mean sexual intimacy has to stop. Right. So maybe maybe you're doing other things that are like sexually fulfilling as a couple. Uh, so we're not, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about sexless yeah. marriages. It's specifically dealing with people that could, should be, but aren't for a myriad of reasons. Like I remember working with this one couple. I'm not sure how much time we have left, but I remember working with this one couple and he had diabetes and was having challenges. So my question was like, okay, I, that's, I understand. So what have you done about diabetes? Nothing. Okay. So what you're saying is if you were to get diabetes under control, it might would make your intimacy with your wife easier. Yes. So why aren't you doing that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause it really was really wasn't about diabetes. I mean, they had other uh, multiple challenges, right? So, it was like, okay, well, let's let's remove some excuses here. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, removing those excuses is a big one across the board, especially when you're dealing with a relationship that, you know, it's not just a season, right, of sexless marriage. Or, you know, there's, there's times that happen where yeah. it's maybe not happening as frequently. Sure. But, you know, if it's a consistent thing, at some point, somebody in the relationship has to step up, yeah. right, or both and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to work on this together. Somebody has to be vulnerable, yeah, right? We right. talked about somebody's got to step outside the comfort zone, yeah. you know, and, and we know couples that, you know, they only kiss a handful of times every year, right? And we're like, hey, just just start somewhere, right? Yeah. Start with a, a hand on the back, right? Yeah. Start <laughs> right. like literally, yeah, like like literally, it it doesn't have to go from from zero to a hundred over right. like immediately, right? When if you're dealing with this and it's a long struggle, yeah. start somewhere, right? Start with a hug, yeah, mm -hmm. right. Start with Absolutely. some kind of physical connection yeah. and and let it build up. Start you know. Yeah. Go to a massage. Go to whatever this looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And start to build that familiarity back. Yeah. Um, but but you, you've got to get rid of some of those excuses. And at some yeah. point, say, you know, for Megan and I, we go back to, and I say it's a lot, we're on the same team, yeah. right? And I didn't join this team. I played on softball teams and baseball teams. and everything. Like, that's not the team I wanted to join, right? Yeah. I joined this team because it has other <laughs> perks. But I also, want this team, I also want this team to be the best that it can be. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so when I look at the end of the day and I say, hey, look, you know, we're in our early 30s or, you know, even we're in our early 20s, whatever else it is. If there's a problem here, like, I want to address it. I don't want to go the next 60 years of our life saying, yeah. man, I really wish we would have talked right. about this earlier, yeah. right? Because we've seen that, right? And we've talked with older couples. We even had one stop us the other day and was like, was giving us advice and wisdom and was like, hey, don't don't just focus on this, right? Like, you, work on it. Yeah. Do the hard things, right? Don't just yeah. sweep it under the rug, right? It's yeah. easier to turn all the lights off. It's easier to not talk about it. It's yeah. easier to not be vulnerable. It's easier to make it just a checklist. It, it's easier. Yeah. But that's not what's going to make you happy in the long run, right. you know, and that's where you end up with couples that are sleeping in separate bedrooms or, you know, couples that 
haven't connected in years. And for me, I just go back to, I believe every couple can have a happy, thriving, successful marriage, but it does take work. And I think that's where a lot of people get like, they don't want to put the work in, you know? And I just say, I go back and I tell them, look, you're working towards, you work toward a degree. You, you want a better, you know, you want to make more money. You want to be a better golfer. You want to catch more fish, whatever. Yeah. You're going to put in the work. Absolutely. This is your number one relationship. Mm -hmm. Put in the put in the work. Yeah. Go to the marriage conference, right? Yeah. Go to a bunch of marriage conferences. Absolutely. Um, read that's, some marriage books. Read books, yeah. listen to podcasts, right? There's so yeah, many. Find a mentor or something. Find yeah. a mentor. Invest in your marriage. Invest yes. in your marriage. Yes. And it you know, and and we I hear a lot, your guys are like, Well, yeah, it's not I'm not that kind of guy. Right. Like I just can't um, you know, kick that way or that ain't for me. Why not? What are, who are you? Don't yeah. you want to be a happy don't you want a happier marriage? Right. Like, right. don't you want to have some more sex and right. more feelings? Like invest in it. Megan, I've been to, you know, we're a big advocate of marriage conferences and we've been to some that were not as great. Um, <laughs> and we've been to some that are really, really good. And so, you know, we, we are big advocates of family life today and weekend to remember, which is an amazing marriage conference. And I know we're running, we only have a few minutes left. Any last thoughts, anything else that you guys can think of that we didn't hit or that I want to make sure we touch on before we, we get off this podcast. The whole podcast is the millionaire marriage, right? Finding wealth in your marriage. Yeah. This is a massive part of it. This is definitely not going to be our last discussion over it. No, I don't, I don't think it will be either. Yeah. And so definitely subscribe to the podcast, go on our website, themillionairemarriage.com, submit questions, hit us on social media. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to answer your questions um, either on the podcast or privately and help any way that we possibly can. But uh, Megan, Erica, thank you so much for joining Absolutely. us today. Yes, Glad you guys you. took time to be here and we'll see you next episode.